And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet each other, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, This morning, we will be, in just a moment, looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. As I mentioned earlier, uh, today is uh, Graduate Recognition Sunday or Senior Recognition Sunday, uh, and we do have a handful of of graduates that we are, um, we're blessed to uh, be able to say uh, congratulations to, to pray for, and I I thought... uh, uh, as, as unconventional maybe as this is, I'm not really sure how long our, our traditions go back at our church uh, of recognizing seniors, uh, but I thought that it, it might be best to examine God's word, hear from the Lord, and then pray for our graduates as a matter of responding to the word of God today. And so we've reserved that time of prayer and recognition for the end uh, of the service. Uh, and we just have a handful of, of graduates today and I'm going to be speaking to them today, and the rest of us can listen in. I think you'll get some benefit from it, uh, since it's not really about what I say, it's about what the Word of God has to say. And so, uh, with that being said, uh, by the way, uh, you might be, uh, in a moment we're going to pray, uh, you might be wondering, where is Pastor Andrew today? And I just always like to underscore and celebrate these things, um, because it's, it's such a blessing to be able to... Uh, uh, watch uh, our church members and, and p- people who are part of our church, our church family go out and minister in other congregations. Uh, Andrew's preaching today at Rocky Point Baptist in Stephenville, and uh, the pastor there, his name is Jeff, he's a good friend of ours, and uh, he just had a baby, and so Andrew was able to fill in for him. And so uh, our loss, their, their gain, but uh, we're excited that a- Andrew is able to bless them this morning, and so I'm sure he could use prayer, though, so let's go ahead and turn to the Lord in prayer before we examine our text. God, we uh, are so grateful to have not only the example of, of Jesus and the apostles and the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us, but to know that it's not just, hey, I'm going to show you what to do and you do it like I've done it, but, but actually you have done everything to bring us into fellowship with you. It's, there's nothing left to do except for to just open our hands and say thank you. And we want to praise you for that this morning, that Christ's blood cleanses us from all sin. And that the offer of the Son of God crucified and risen, goes out to every human creature in existence. And that means that even though we are sinners, even though we have rebelled against you, even though we have rejected your commandments, even we can be welcomed and actually become heirs of the great treasure that you promise in Christ in your word. So, Father, we thank you for that treasure. We know we don't deserve it. We know that we possess it as just clay jars uh, holding something pricelessly valuable. And so, Father, this morning I pray that 
Christ would be exalted first and foremost in everything that's done, whether it's in the nursery or children's church or as the teens prepare uh, the meal across the street or in this room, uh, that in each heart Christ would be exalted and you glorified. Thank you for sending your spirit because, Lord, even uh, without your presence, we couldn't worship you at all. We couldn't know you. We couldn't really be changed and born again. We couldn't walk in newness of life. So thank you that even though Jesus has gone to your right hand, you have sent your spirit so that we can have fellowship directly with you. We are truly blessed. Father, we do lift up our brother, Andrew, as he opens up your word and preaches uh, to the congregation there at Rocky Point Baptist. I pray that you would anoint him with your power and that that congregation and anyone within hearing of his preaching would experience uh, just renewal and revival in uh, the hearing of the gospel preached. Lord, I also want to lift up Brother Cliff Spain as he preaches in uh, another church in Bowie, Texas. I pray that you would anoint him and that you would bless him as he ministers there. And uh, Father, again, for us, that you would open up your truth to us, help us to see and, and fellowship with you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I graduated from high school almost exactly 20 years ago, in June of 2002. Uh, just a few weeks prior to that, uh, our class, our senior class, was able to do a senior trip. Now, I understand that not every school has this tradition. We had a, I went to a smaller school and I'm sure that made it easier for us to do this. But in our school, it was typical for each class to do a sightseeing trip towards the end of the year and uh, kind of make one last uh, memory together before we graduated and moved on with the rest of our life. And so we would do these fundraisers of various kinds, raise money throughout the, uh, our high school career and set those monies aside in order to go on a trip. And our class had been so successful, no thanks to me, uh, at raising those funds that we were able to take a, a more extravagant trip than previous senior classes. We actually uh, were able to fly out of Philadelphia to Denver, Colorado, which I know would be cool for most of us here in this room, uh, but it was like visiting another world for someone living in eastern Pennsylvania. Uh, traveling to Colorado and Wyoming, and the trip didn't disappoint. Uh, we were used to mountains in Pennsylvania, you know, the Poconos, uh, just little hills in comparison with the Rocky Mountains and Rocky Mountain National Park. And uh, we were able to see the scale of the mountains and the, the incredible history of ancient Native American ruins. And uh, it was like nothing I had ever experienced before in my life. And my favorite part of that trip was the day that we spent visiting Yellowstone National Park. How many of you have been to Yellowstone? So you know just how incredible it is. But... So that was my favorite part. But in order to get there, there was no way around it. We had to go through my least favorite part of the trip, which was the driving. Uh, we had to drive a lot. That's, uh, this last week, I looked it up to jog my memory. We were staying in Durango, Colorado, uh, and uh, we, we took the narrow gauge railroad there, and then we drove from there to Old Faithful, and that's about a 15-hour drive in a tour bus, and I'm sure it probably took us longer than that because of stops. And most of that drive cuts through what seems like a limitless ocean of 
brown wilderness. It's not quite a desert, but when you're looking out the window of a, a tour bus, it may as well be. And about eight hours in, we were a little irritated. The quarreling began to break out. You can only play Uno and travel bingo so many times. But then we saw some of these little snow-capped hills in the distance. And very slowly, they began to grow into these massive mountains, majestic peaks that I, I just couldn't even believe were real, the indescribable Grand Tetons. And then finally, eventually, we reached our destination, and I can tell you the drive was worth it. This morning, we're celebrating our graduates. Uh, you've reached an important milestone after countless hours of work. In a few days, you'll have a commencement ceremony, and someone at some point is going to say that commencement means beginning, because this is really the beginning of the rest of your life, the start of a wonderful journey that, if you walk in obedience and faith, will take you through all the wonderful and unexpected ways that God plans to use you in this world to bring him glory and to bring you greater joy. But I have to be honest with you. I know you know this, but it's important to talk about it. This moment of commencement, this moment of beginning is at times going to feel like pulling away from Durango and driving to Yellowstone. You're going to spend some time traveling through the wilderness. The day's going to come very soon when the awards are laid aside and the summer is drawing to a close and it's 6 a.m. and the alarm goes off. And you're at the start of what seems like a very long and tedious and lonely journey. And it's going to feel like you're traveling through the wasteland. And as far as the eye can see in every direction, there's nothing but sand and dirt and, and brown grass. But when you're in the desert, just know that you're not the first to go there. You might feel alone, but you're in very good company. Think about Moses. Think about the children of Israel after leaving Egypt. Think of John the Baptist or Jesus himself. God takes each one through the desert. And in a manner of speaking, the same thing occurs in the lives of the recipients to uh, the, the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, figuratively speaking, they were going through the wilderness as well. They had given their lives to Christ. They had come to see that Jesus was the Son of God. They uh, had had their ta sins taken away, they had banded together in little churches throughout the Roman Empire. I'm sure there was a lot of excitement at first, but then time dragged on. Following Christ became unpopular. Many lost their jobs. Others' homes were invaded by soldiers and their possessions plundered by a hostile government. Those who had grown up in the synagogue were cast out by Jewish leaders who hated Jesus of Nazareth, and the years dragged on, and their strength lagged, and they were tempted to give up and to turn back. Graduates, the long journey through the wilderness is going to tempt you to give up. I'm sure you've already experienced some of what I'm talking about, but what I want to warn you and I want to plead with you is that you not let the wasteland around you pull you from the path of faith and obedience because as any follower of Jesus who has endured uh, the Christian life for decades will tell you, Jesus is better than the attractions of the world. He's better than the accolades of friends. He's better than making a lot of money. He's better than the pleasure of sin for a season. 
And this morning, I want us to examine this text that, that was just read and equip you for the journey and equip you with the joy and with the confidence and with the spiritual energy that you're going to need in order to pursue Jesus even as you have to travel through the wilderness. You'll notice if you take time uh, to read this passage that there are really two parts to what our writer is saying. First of all, uh, there, there are some assumptions that he makes in verses 19 through 21. And then on the basis of those assumptions that he makes, there are some exhortations that he offers to believers. And so let's just take a moment to kind of break this into two, two parts and let's examine those assumptions in the first three verses of our text. Notice that the writer to the Hebrews assumes that you possess two things. You have confidence to enter into the holy places and you have a great high priest. What does that mean? Well, in order to understand this set of assumptions, you have to think about the whole sweep of the Bible's story. God created Adam and Eve, the father and mother of the human race, and he placed them in a garden sanctuary, and he told them to keep and cultivate it, and we're told that God would actually walk with them in the cool of the day and have fellowship with them. In other words, the pristine, the pure condition of the human life is to spend our days walking in fellowship with the God who made us. This is why we were made. We're talking about a person who is so wonderfully creative that he invented colors. He invented snow and strawberries and sunshine. He's infinitely good and kind. He's unmatched in his power and ability. He's eternally unchanging in his holy affections. He is literally the most interesting the most wonderful, the most amazing, most captivating being in existence, and he made us for the express purpose of sharing himself with us. He wanted the radiance of his glory to shine toward other beings, and if you miss that, you miss the whole point of the Bible, and you miss your whole life. If you think that the point of life is to sort of live it up and keep God on the margins, and then you get to go to heaven when you die and get a cool mansion... If you're good enough, you're, you're missing the whole reason of why you exist in the first place. And if you fast forward through the pages of Scripture, Adam and Eve are forced to leave the sanctuary of Eden, and they're, they're kept away by these angels with fiery swords. Uh, their fellowship with God is broken. This is the whole reason why their fellowship with the ground is broken. This is the whole reason why their fellowship with other human beings are, are beginning to break down. These are symptoms of an already broken relationship with the Creator. So if you're wondering, why do human beings destroy the earth? Why do they kill off rainforests and pollute the skies? Why is it that violence holds sway in our cities and our schools? Why are too many little kids not even safe in their own homes with their own moms and dads? Why is it that a young woman can't leave her house without looking over her shoulder? Well, this is why. It all comes back to the fact that our relationship with our creator has been broken. The entire reason of our existence has been damaged, and therefore everything else suffers. But then God reaches down toward his creatures, and he begins to work a plan to bring them back. He sits down to a fellowship meal with Abraham in the book of Genesis. He speaks to Moses from a burning bush in the book of Exodus. And then in an act of tremendous grace... He pulls back, do you remember this from when we went through the book of Exodus? He pulls back the veil and shows Moses a pattern of his very own heavenly throne room 
a majestic and holy place, the, the dwelling of God himself. And then he, he tells the children of Israel to fashion a tent after the pattern that they had seen, that, that Moses had seen in the mountain. And, and then we come to the time of Jesus. See, for, for, for long centuries, uh, Israel had that symbol of the fellowship that we can share with God. This tent of meeting later on the tabernacle, this idea that God is situated on his throne and we can have fellowship with him, and that symbol was there, but it was also very clearly communicated, I can go up to that building, I can get kind of close, but I can't go in there. And then Jesus comes, and, and uh, when Jesus died, the, the heavy curtain dividing the dwelling of God from the rest of the world was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and through the shed blood of the Savior and his torn flesh, any who were in Christ could actually enter into fellowship with the God who made them and be restored to the very reason why we exist. So what the, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying in so many words throughout the book and explicitly in verses 19 and following is that his readers could confidently come before a righteous and a holy God and actually share in his life. In a manner of speaking, it's like they had the right, that they had the right to walk past those mighty angels wielding those swords. They just walked right past them into the sanctuary where they could be with God. And that's, a, that's true for anyone who is in Christ. And graduates, understand something, and I'm not telling you anything you haven't heard before. There is no way, there is absolutely no way that you can have confidence to enter into those holy places, that you can enjoy a right relationship with the most wonderful and benevolent being in the universe if you do not also have a great high priest. Like, you need Jesus. If you don't have a right relationship to God, you are hurtling toward destruction. Everything else you're working for is going to mean less than nothing if you're living life apart from the God who made you. And you can't be right with him unless you have Jesus. Without his blood, without his broken body, without him going in before you as your great high priest, you're not getting in. Each of you has incredible potential and you remind all of us of all the goodness of God in all sorts of ways. You really do. You're going to meet people who are impressed with your intelligence and your moral consistency and they're going to tell you things like, man, you're such a good person. And uh, as wonderful as it is to hear the encouraging comments of other people, uh, those compliments, uh, they're not going to make you right with God. Some of you are going to be very successful in your professional life. Like you're going to Go far beyond everybody else, even in your family and, and your circle of peers in terms of the amount of money that you're going to make and, and the kind of influence that you have. And that's great, and that's a fantastic opportunity. What a blessing it is to have so many resources and have such skill in your profession. But that, that money, that professional success, it, it's not going to bring you into the sanctuary where you can have fellowship with God. I imagine, given what I know about you, that you're going to meet some amazing people and form some lifelong friendships as you transition out of high school. You might even fall in love and get married. Maybe you'll have children. And I hope all of the above comes true for you. But, but none of those things, none of them is going to address your deepest need, your need to go in and have fellowship with God. And the day is going to come when the praise of men dries up and the professional achievement and the financial wealth lose their luster. When those close to you break your heart and disappoint. 
And finally, after what I hope is a very long and successful and prosperous life, you will come to a time when you stand alone before the Lord. And all the books are open, and every thought of your heart, and every word that you've spoken, and every deed that you have done will serve as evidence in the trial of your life before the divine bench, and you will give an answer for yourself. And if you don't have an advocate in that moment, if you don't have a priest who can stand before you, if you're not clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, if your sins are not washed away by the blood of the Lamb, then you will not stand in that day. You will not be a good person. You won't be a successful person in that moment. You'll just be a rebellious creature, and you won't be welcomed into fellowship with God. You won't be brought past those burning swords into the garden sanctuary of Eden. You'll be cast into outer darkness where the worm dies not and the smoke of the burning goes up forever and ever. So please, don't delay and don't explain away. Don't minimize or put off the question of your soul's future. If you want to escape judgment and enjoy the blessing of knowing God, the whole reason you exist, then you need to call out to Christ to save you. You need to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and you need to confess with your mouth, I'm a sinner, I, I, I don't have anything to bring to God. Jesus, save me, please. Rescue me. Forgive me. I have nothing to bring to you but my sin and my guilt. Please cover me with the cleanness of Christ. You, you must be born again. This question is way too important for me to lay aside and assume that you are in Christ. I will not assume anything. I plead with you to be sure, to examine yourself and to ask whether you are really in the faith. And if you, in your heart, reject him, it won't be because you didn't hear one last time, please believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But if you're in Christ, if you have confidence to enter the holy place, if you have a great priest who is, whose precious blood cleanses you from all sin, then the next section of our text applies to you. And so, and I don't want you to forget it, so I'm going to be a little bit corny, okay? So just get ready for this. If you're a believer, if verses 19 through 21 are true of you, then from verses 20, 22 through 25, you need to eat your lettuce. Eat your lettuce. What in the world? Eat your lettuce? Not arugula, not romaine, not kale, thankfully, certainly not iceberg, I'm talking about a different type of lettuce. Actually, there are three lettuces in this passage. Did you pick them out? Let us draw near to God in full assurance of faith. Let us, verse 23, hold fast the confession. And then verse 24, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works. I, I, I told you it was going to be corny, but you're probably going to remember at least for a day or two what I'm saying. Uh, so let's examine each of these lettuces one by one. First, let us. Let us press in. Let us press in. Our writer says, draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Once again, our writer borrows from the language of the Old Testament to describe a practical reality in the life of the Christian today. We have been given 
incredible access to the throne room of God. We can spend time with him. We can have fellowship with God. And yet, how many of us fail so often to take advantage of this fact? The door to the temple is open, but we don't go in. The, the table is set, but we sit there, the delicious aroma of rich and wholesome truth wafting into our nostrils, but we don't partake. How silly. Graduates, if you're going to survive the trek through the wilderness, and if you're going to remain energized and buoyant and joyful as you face life's trials in the pursuit of God's call on your life, then you must spend time in fellowship with God. You must be with him. You stand to inherit a huge fortune in Christ, and he's already given you the down payment of that wonderful inheritance in the Holy Spirit. And that spirit, the spirit of God dwells in your hearts by faith, and, and he calls to your mind the truth and the character of Christ. But if you ignore him, if you leave your relationship with God aside because you're anxious about your grades or because you have to go to work or because you're focused on a love interest or because you need to work more overtime or for any other reason, then you're cutting yourself off from the benefits of knowing Christ. And you're going to be tempted to wander from the path along the way. So spend time with him. Let us press in. Read your Bible every day. Talk to God in prayer. Tell him everything you're anxious about. Ask him for help. He delights to hear from his children. You say, well, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to pay for school. Have you told God that you're anxious about those things? Have you asked him for help? You say, I, I, I'm going to be really homesick. I'm, I'm worried about that. Or uh, my grades, I'm concerned that my grades aren't going to be very good. Have you spoken to God about these things? Just tell him. Amen. Have you reached the point in your relationship with God where you can speak to him as a father? Draw near to God. Memorize some scripture. Learn a hymn that encapsulates a comforting truth. Uh, listen to a sermon as you drive to and from work. If you're going to make it through the wilderness, you are going to need to eat your lettuce. Let us press in. Second type of lettuce. Verse 23, let us press on. Let us press on. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The confession that our writer is talking about isn't the confession of sin in this context. It's the confession of what we believe is true about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the confession of our faith that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. This is what our writer is talking about. Hold fast to that. Uh, a mentor of mine uh, used to send out email updates about his ministry and, and uh, you know how people put uh, sincerely or love or grace and peace or something like that at the end of their letters and he would always sign his emails, gripping the rock. Uh, he was one of those tough old barrel-chested preachers who had probably played on the front line in high school and went and served on the front line in the war, you know, and, and I, could, I always chuckled to myself because even in his old age, I could see him reaching forth on a mountainside and gripping the rock, you know. And what I'm saying, what, what, what our writer is saying to us today is grip the rock, hold on to the rock, hold on to the confession of your faith. Know that it's true. Stay faithful to the Lord. One way or another, you're going to walk through dark valleys of doubt and discouragement, and you're going to hear the devil whisper into your ear 
throw it all away. You'll pray and your prayers will seem like they're bouncing back at you from the ceiling of your room. You'll sing worship songs and it will feel like you're screaming into a pillow. (laughs) You'll question everything you remember your parents or your pastor saying. And some of that is actually really good. Because what I say and what your parents say will only take you so far. I mean, they're pretty important. (laughs) But not in comparison with what God says. And doubt is just one of those things that hits you when you least expect it. But when you are facing the dark night of the soul, when doubts are echoing through your mind and you're grieving the lost simplicity of that childlike faith that you once possessed, press on, hold fast to the main things. I've told you this before, but in my own life, I I didn't pass through this kind of darkness and doubt in my 20s uh, or my teens. Really, it hit me most heavily in my early 30s. I don't know where they came from, but I was assailed by doubts for for like months at a time. And because I had been warned and encouraged by godly men to to keep holding fast to the confession of my faith, I kept gathering with God's people. And every Sunday we would celebrate the Lord's Supper and we would confess together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. On the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit and the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. And we would confess our faith together. And I would stand there saying these things with all my brothers and sisters gathered there before the Lord in the house of God. And I remember thinking, I'm having doubts about a lot of things, but I still believe that. That's still my true north. And I would take the bread and the fruit of the vine and I would have a meal of fellowship by faith with my Lord and Savior and I did it every week until the clouds lifted and the sun began to shine and the doubts began to dissipate again. So what I'm saying is press on. You don't have to ignore your doubts but you don't have to let them control you either. Bring them to God. He knows what to do with those doubts. He can take it because he who promised is faithful. Press in, press on, and then our third type of lettuce, let us pull together. Let us pull together. If I can boil down the most practical thing that you can, ins- you can do to ensure that you survive the wilderness and fulfill God's call on your life. It's this one. It's what's found in verses 24 and 25. Let us consider, excuse me, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. At some point in the next few weeks or months, If it hasn't happened already, the sun is going to come up on a Sunday morning. You'll open your eyes, and for the first time, you'll have a decision to make, a decision that nobody is going to say anything about but you, a decision that no one's going to get on your case about. It's the decision of whether you, on your own, are going to get out of bed, get ready, climb into your car, drive across town, and attend 
the gathering of God's people in a local church. That one moment, as you lie there in your bed and for just a few seconds ponder whether you're going to roll over and go back to sleep or get up and gather with the people of God, is going to make such a difference in your life, such a huge difference. I am not exaggerating when I say this. There is no doubt in my mind that whether or not you choose to participate as a full member of a local congregation of believers is going to have a much greater impact on your future spiritual health than whether you read your Bible every day, whether you pray every morning, whether you go to BSM, Baptist Student Ministry, whether you go to whatever it is, whether you listen to Christian radio or podcasts or just about anything else, a far greater difference. Now, I realize when I say that, I'm fully aware that probably most American Christians would disagree. There are people in this room who think that's a crazy thing to say. Of course, your personal, private time interacting with God is more important than whether or not you show up at a local church on a Sunday morning. We don't need to go to church. We can be the church. But I'm telling you, those people are dead wrong. You cannot follow Jesus and despise his church. You cannot do it. That's his bride. Think about it. Now, I am an average to below average husband. But if you have a beef with my bride, then you have a beef with me. How much more the Lord Jesus Christ? The most perfect husband. You say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Yeah, that's true. You don't have to be intimate with your spouse to be married. I mean, not to be too direct, (laughs) but give me a break. Don't you realize what the local church is? It is an embassy of eternity. It's an outpost of the new creation. It's like a little taste, a little preview by faith of what is going to take place in a much fuller, much more all-encompassing way in the kingdom of Christ when the kingdoms of this world become his kingdom. And what's going to happen then? He's going to gather his people from every tribe and tongue and nation, from all walks of life, from everywhere on the globe, from every era of history, and together We're going to fellowship with God and worship him in the new creation. And when you gather with the church and you sing praises to God and you hear his word preached, when you uh, sit down to a symbolic meal in the presence of God at the Lord's Supper, what you are saying by faith is, I can't wait till that day. I can't wait. That's what worship is ultimately. It is, yes, a response to God's revelation of himself, but any right response to God results in the restoration of the whole point of our life, that we might together enjoy fellowship with the God who made us. And yes, I know that some Sundays in some churches, even Indian Creek, require a lot more faith to see that than other days. But this is God's plan. And when we exercise that faith, he draws us closer to himself and makes us stronger in obedience and greater in usefulness. So graduates, find a local church and commit yourself to that body of believers. Serve them, encourage them, be present on a consistent basis. I'm I'm aware that when I say this, I realize you haven't always had the best examples in the generation that goes before. In spite of the clear instruction of the scriptures, there have been many, many days when the church has gathered and we have neglected that gathering. 
I know that's true. And, and not because the government was coming to take us all into jail and, and take our property away. But because we had a game. Because if we worked an extra three or four hours of overtime, we would earn another $100. Because we had stayed up the night before, even though we're grown adults, and played video games till three in the morning. And I know you're not dumb, and you see. You've learned by watching what is important to God's people, but I am pleading with you to decide early on in your life that you are going to do things differently, that you aren't going to shop around like a consumer and, and find the church with the most benefits, but you're going to find the church that God has for you where you can serve the Lord and exercise your spiritual gifts in building up the body together. By the way, if you're a parent and your child is three or four years away from graduating Think carefully about this, please. If your son needed braces, you would sacrifice and scrape that money together and you would get him braces. If your daughter is a star athlete, you sign her up for individual coaching, you get her in expensive sports leagues, you buy the nice equipment, you book hotel rooms, you spend hundreds on gasoline to get her where she needs to go because you love your daughter. If your son is mechanically inclined and you, you want to give him opportunities to work on engines and things, you, find, you buy him tools and you, you, you get him the time that he needs in, in front of those engines so that he can grow as a person because you love your son. And I'm asking you, do you love your son? Do you love your daughter? Then invest some time and some money in this important endeavor. If they're planning to go away to college, take a few hours. Visit the websites of the churches around that school. Go visit them in person. Here, I would say this. If they're getting close to graduating, take a Sunday off from Indian Creek and go visit a church here in Mineral Wells or in Weatherford or somewhere close by. Go and, and, and sit there and participate in the worship and then go to lunch afterwards and talk about it. Hey, what, what went well? What did you think? How do we think about these decisions? Put the time in. Prepare them for this decision. Okay, back on track. You see, what God desires from us is that we would stay on the path, press in, press on, pull together, even when we're trekking through the wilderness. And graduates, listen, beginning a race at a sprint doesn't do much for you if you're going to walk the last mile. Scoring two touchdowns in the first quarter, it doesn't help if you stop trying for the last three quarters and the other team just runs right over you. It doesn't matter. You can pitch a no-hitter for eight innings, but it won't matter if you lose your lead in the ninth. Following Christ, it's not like a game of knockout that's over in two or three minutes. You've got to play all four quarters. And in order to do that, you need to know that your teammates are right in there with you. And we're not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but we love you. We do. We want, we want to recognize you. We want to pray for you. We want you to know that anytime you're here, it gives us joy. And when life's circumstances or your own choices have left you bruised and injured and tired and worn out, and those things are going to happen, no matter what's happened, May this place be a place of healing and hope and welcome for you. And you need to know we love you and we want you here. And since you're surrounded by a, a cloud of witnesses far greater than this tiny gathering, I bless you and I say may you run the race with endurance 
the race that is set before you as you look to Jesus, the founder and the finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Press in, press on, pull together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to celebrate our young people and um, to be reminded of the wonderful confidence we can have in Christ to enter into the holy places and, and be with you and fellowship with you and share life with you. Thank you for sharing yourself with us, Lord. And in this moment, I pray that as your spirit convicts and convinces us of what is true, I pray that you would empower us to respond in kind with obedience and faith. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.